Welcome to the ninth episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Dia. Welcome, Dia. Thank you, David. Excited to be here. Let me first start by asking you to, you know, just give uh, our audience your full name and where you're from and uh, where you're currently working. Sure, sure. So my name is Rujita Dia Ghosh. I go by Dia. Um, so I was born and raised in Calcutta, India, one of the larger metros in India. And uh, growing up, I got an opportunity to travel quite a bit because I played tennis since I was six years old and I wanted to pursue it as a career. Um, and ultimately, it was tennis that brought brought me all the way from India to you know good old small town Ada, Oklahoma, uh, on a tennis scholarship to study business at uh, East Central University, which is a local university uh, here in Ada. And of course, now I'm here in Ada living and working in this beautiful community. And a little bit about Ada, it's a town of 16,000 people in southeast Oklahoma, a beautiful community home to the Chickasaw Nation. And but when I first came here, you know, I had no idea about Oklahoma or Ada. I had been to Florida when I was 14. And I had watched all these American movies, so I knew what exactly Oklahoma was, but I still remember the first day I was like, oh, wow, this is different. And I have always lived in big cities and I'm going to be out of here as soon as I graduate. But like I said, here I am uh, years after graduation working here Um, and a little bit of how I got into this work with entrepreneurship. So back when I was in college here in Ada, um, during my senior year, there was an unfortunate event where the university went through severe budget cuts. And as a result of that, the tennis program had to be cut and I lost my scholarship. But, you know, with adversity comes opportunity. And uh, with the extra time in hand, not being a student athlete, I could invest a little more time in my entrepreneurial in the academic section. And my growing up, my parents had an entrepreneurial background, but it was not the, you know, the sexy tech entrepreneur. It was more of the hustle hard, let's make things work kind of entrepreneurship. And at this time, really, it was when I was introduced to my first mentor, and she was a professor, Dr. Stacy Bolin, who saw the passion and talent in me and encouraged me to pursue my entrepreneurial venture. Um, I went on to successfully competing in several business plan competitions and uh, work on my health tech idea. So from these connections as well is when I first realized the importance of, you know, a mentor who has access to a certain network and can help someone get plugged in to that same network that the other person does not and make a huge impact. And that sentiment kind of carried on later when I was hired at the Ada Jobs Foundation, which is the economic development organization for uh, Ada and the Pontotoc County region, um, where I currently work. And uh, the CEO and president, James Eldridge, at that time, kind of went out of the norm to hire someone who was not from Oklahoma, was not a native here, um, and believed in me and the diverse perspective that I brought in. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about uh, the work we're doing. But uh, as I started working there as an intern, um, 
I worked on building a community entrepreneurship report and quickly identified the gaps in our entrepreneurship ecosystem that, you know, talent retention as a rural community was a big deal and uh, access to capital and equitable capital, that is. So those were two of the things that came up right off the bat. And in working for the last few years, uh, really diving in deeper, is that we learned that rural entrepreneurship is unique and it's unique to each community and there really is no handbook. Wow. Uh, just uh, listening to you kind of, uh, you know, brings back to memories my first uh, foray into entrepreneurship. Uh, there's a few things I want to touch on here. One, uh, your background, like you said, informs your worldview. And when you look at where you've come from, you know, I have been to that city. Uh, it would be like a second home for me in India, Calcutta. And that kind of richness of diversity, but also the hustle and bustle of a city where uh, to make it, you really have to give it your best. It's an extremely um, a competitive city just in terms of the ability to get work and uh, make a living. How did that inform your early um, foray into entrepreneurship? And also you're talking about your family and your parents. What are some things that have inspired you to say, this is the work that I want to take on? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, for my background, I think it's a, it's a mix of my relationship with sports, you know, getting that competitive grit from tennis, uh, playing early on. And like you said, uh, from, from a city where you're seeing people doing entrepreneurship at every level, right? We have, uh, we have these vendors on the street who are uh, selling things just to make a living. And then we have corporations working in the innovative and research aspect. But for me personally, and uh, especially from my mom, learning about how to be flexible and making resources work and getting to the table where you may not necessarily having have a seat but she had that mindset of you know hey bring 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 your own chair if they're not giving you a seat so i learned that really early on that to be a part of a network that is not automatically built for uh, people who don't look the same as uh, as the system was made for so, uh, so and that perspective I could bring on a lot to my work with entrepreneurship, even here in Ada, because uh, rural communities are perceived a little differently. You know, people in rural communities sometimes don't necessarily see uh, themselves as an entrepreneur. You know, entrepreneurship is that thing you do in the Bay Area or in an Austin area. But to highlight those stories of um, how rural entrepreneurs, even in the tech and high growth, are, are, are doing great. Telling those stories has been, at least for me, has been so important and uh, showing that role model aspect. So kind of tying in both from my background, you know, I've had that role model in my mom who was always like, it, you don't need to look the same. You don't need to think the same, but you can still do it. And trying to implement that into uh, the community that I'm working in uh, to highlight those stories of success and just entrepreneurship at all levels. Uh, it's it's not just that high scale uh, entrepreneur that we need to pay attention to, but even the small mom and shop uh, down the street. So that has been very important to me. Let's talk uh, about one specific topic. Uh, and some of this you've been exposed in your work with the Kaufman Foundation. Let's talk about breaking down barriers to entry for small businesses, especially in rural communities. This is, you know, a, a big 
contrast to maybe in bigger cities, there are more resources. In smaller communities, what does breaking down barriers look like? And what are some on-ramps that you have seen that have worked effectively in breaking down barriers? Yes, uh, like you mentioned, it's it's just different. In rural communities are different and there's not a specific, uh, we can see, look at best practices, but there's not a specific handbook. And in my, and I have been involved with the Isha goals over the last couple of years, uh, just a heads up, like a big shout out to their team for being so inclusive and open in their approach. I still remember the first time I attended the ESHIP summit and it was unlike any other conference. I felt so welcome. I saw people like me. I, I, I found my tribe, if, if that's what you say. Um, and specifically with the ESHIP goals, I have been involved in Goal number one and two, where it's inclusivity and collaborative culture, and also with universal support in which we talk about how do we talk to these external stakeholders in uh, like economic development, city officials. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the collaborative culture, and I see that um, resonate a lot with on the local level, right? So what we talk about when we say the collaborative culture is about building trust with partners who have who we have worked with, but also with partners we haven't worked with and really forming those genuine relationships. And I have seen that translate back a lot directly to my work here um, in a rural and small community. It's, it's all about relationships. It's all about talking to people where they are at. You know, um, when we, like I was talking about earlier, that sometimes it's it, there's a language barrier, you know, entrepreneurship or startups or founders may not be words that people are resonating with. So you have to speak that language and be able to communicate uh, on their level to make them feel comfortable and make them feel um, good about the work they're doing. Because honestly, they're doing great, great work. Entrepreneurs, they're hustling, making, making a living and identifying problems. And most of the times the businesses they open are very, um, very community oriented. They're pro solving a problem in the community. So I, I see that translation so much and it's, it's just great to be able to um, talk to the group uh, with the e-ship and learn the best practices and bring it back to the community. Um, then when we talk about universal support and many of these goal calls, uh, so with the eShip goals, we, we have monthly goal calls uh, on, on these different goals. And with the universal support as well, again, we have identified that, um, you know, entrepreneurship-led economic development is uh, it, a lot of people are embracing it right now, as we should. But there's still a little bit of barrier between when we talk about traditional economic development versus um entrepreneurship. So again, it's about going out of our way to speak their language and to talk about how important entrepreneurship is uh, and that that initiative and that inclusivity needs to come from the city level as well. I'm going to switch topics slightly and uh, in just because of your unique perspective, share something I haven't shared before. Uh, I had started my first venture actually back in India and my second venture uh, I started in the U.S. And I've been able to contrast those two. In my first venture, the hardest part was actually starting up. Mm -hmm. So just getting your business permit and your license is so hard. And uh, that was something that I never expected. In the U.S., it's the opposite. You go on, for example, in Florida, sunbiz.org, and you can get your 
uh, registration done in a matter of minutes. You can go to uh, irs.gov, get your EIN number. The, the setup process is a lot uh, easier. Mm-hmm. However, in the process of actually doing your work, I've found that, uh, so once you've started the process of actually starting your business, I found that the U.S. journey is a lot lonelier than the journey in India. I felt like, and it, I don't think it's tied to you know where I was born, but I think it was a function of the fact that I think in the U.S. we're just more spread out and the culture is different, that I feel like the emotions with starting a business are uh, a lot harder to manage in the U.S. than in India where it felt like the community was a little bit more natural in how they kind of helped you bet on your feet uh, as an entrepreneur. However, the the bureaucracy and the red tape uh, is definitely very different between India and the U.S. So thinking about even those kinds of barriers, right? So you've got the barriers where you don't have access to resources, but then there are other types of barriers like being able to set up your business or being able to find a community that you can call home uh, where you can actually rely on for emotional support and uh, and kind of give you a sounding board on those hard days. Do you have any perspective on that, either through your parents or through your own experiences on, you know, w- how do we approach entrepreneurship in the U.S. and the, the different cultural barriers? Yeah, David, I really think that, you know, the community building aspect of it is just so important for entrepreneurship, uh, especially when you're starting. It, it can be a lonely journey, but at the same time, you're you're asked as an entrepreneur to get feedback on your ideas and do the customer discovery aspect of it. And and that's something I've really noticed is an advantage in rural communities uh, versus sometimes in larger metros where where people just don't have the time to stop and talk. Uh, I have seen the community rally around uh, helping a business thrive, especially right now during the COVID era when uh, our small businesses really need needed that help. Um, so working in silos, I think, is one of the biggest barriers to entrepreneurship, whether it comes to ecosystem uh, practitioners or whether it comes to entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, so I think that's a big opportunity to learn, right? And that is when the diverse perspective also helps. I remember um, we had some uh, fellowship students come in from uh, India, Pakistan, and uh Nepal and some other countries to Oklahoma, and this is a program that they do every year. And it's just been it's been great when you can connect those entrepreneurs with the local entrepreneurs here, whether it's in Oklahoma or Ada, and sharing that perspective. Uh, because, like you said, in India, some sometimes that community building aspect just comes naturally, and you see some form of an entrepreneurship growing up, uh, no matter what that is. But then again, in the U.S., uh, sometimes with the best practices, especially uh, in the innovation era, it's, it's, it's good to um, get that perspective from both ends. So from my, from just from my experience, uh, community building has been so important and the collaboration aspect of it, going back to building trust and things like that, is just so important for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about something that's top of mind for everyone, which is COVID. So how has COVID affected your community and what are some tools that uh, Ada has uh, employed to help with the recovery from COVID? Yeah. um, So COVID-19, I feel like it 
it, it kind of shook all our worlds, right? But at the same time, it has brought up to the surface level some things that have been overlooked for a lot of time uh, because, you know, the system is not necessarily broken. It, it still works for the people it was meant to work for, but it helped us to ask those difficult questions of how do we reach and help people who are not benefiting from the system as much. And one of those things that has come to the surface was uh, broadband, right? Uh, things are going online and we're having great programs and that's awesome. But how, how do we make sure that we reduce that digital divide? And we have been very intentional about it. Um, we have identified broadband as an issue and as an access, uh, as a, a barrier for entrepreneurs as well as students and just uh, just about everyone living in rural counties. So that is something we have intentionally put work behind and we are working on it to make it more accessible. Secondly, uh, with our programs during COVID, we really pivoted and tried to do um, kind of the lean startup, right? So we realized that, hey, we don't really have a space right now for all our uh, businesses to even talk about what are they going through. Like we had a lot of Main Street uh, lifestyle businesses that weren't necessarily online before COVID. They did not have an online payment system or not a very robust website, but people were not getting to hear this. So we started uh, Wednesday morning calls, right? We just started getting on Zoom and getting these businesses together, getting the service providers and resources and just had open discussions about what is the problem. And it was just so amazing to see how, you know, for example, a, a lifestyle business or a small business who did not know about how do you do payment systems online? And we had the student from ECU or so from our tech local tech center and they would be like they had that experience so to connect that those dots even at the very grassroots and local level uh, even if it's building a website even if it's getting introduced to something like square square for payments it, it made a big difference it helped these businesses not go out of business and it and it's helping them moving forward as you know we know the the way that work and entrepreneurship and everything's just going to change and things are going to be more online so we were very excited to be able to launch just short um uh, programs and just uh, doing our own customer discovery and learning that how how can we help on a very fast pace. So you had mentioned that broadband is uh, like the number one barrier. When we look at, you know, 5G coming on board and you've got all these other technology solutions, why is it that uh, something as simple as internet has been such a big barrier? Can you kind of help, you know, our urban listeners or people not in the Midwest try and understand uh, why technology infrastructure is so essential. Uh, and I'll give you some background to this question. I was on a conversation a few weeks back uh, in a forum where uh, the question was, and maybe you can even give us a perspective on this question, uh, is uh, are rural entrepreneurs different than uh, urban entrepreneurs? And somebody said, you know, rural entrepreneurs have more grit. And I thought to myself, well, I have been going to bed at 2 a.m. for the past three years running my business. I surely have the same grit. And so my, you know, my counterpoint was that it is actually not that anybody is different. People are people everywhere, even universally people are the same. But it's that access and the underlying infrastructure is different. And that gives them all different starting points uh, in their journey. And so, uh, you know, do you have a perspective on first, you know, why it, technology infrastructure is so hard to bring to these rural communities? 
And then do you see any difference in how rural entrepreneurs, because you live there, do you see it? Do you have a different perspective on that? Yeah. So, you know, as we were talking uh, before about COVID and how it has brought things to the surface level, I think it's the same thing for, with internet. Uh, internet was always an issue, but right now as um, we are being forced and it's so critical that we, our students won't get education if they don't have strong internet and our businesses won't be able to survive. So I think even on uh, just the official level, there is being that push from the community, which is so important. And I see more and more uh, organizations, some you know great organizations like the Center on Rural Innovation and the Rural Rights Group uh, helping to disseminate that, that information of not just why uh, internet is important, but how, how to do that and places are are doing it and there are rural communities who are really getting on that um taking advantage of the resource and and doing it um as for rural entrepreneurs i think like you said you know it's it's where you start sometimes if you have access to less resources you learn how to make things work within that uh and and there's good and bad to that because uh being entre- uh, being a good entrepreneur is about being resourceful and identifying uh problems but like from what I've seen, I don't think it's necessarily that rural entrepreneurs are more gritty than somebody who was born in a, a born or raised in an urban place. But but it's about making use of the resources that is around you and working your way through. And and that's also a good overlap with minority entrepreneurs. Sometimes when we talk about why diversity is important, it's because they are bringing in a different perspective that others may not have. They are bringing in their experience uh, with seeing problems that somebody else may not have seen. So I see a lot of overlap there between it's not good or bad or is it, it's, not, uh, it's not a positive negative thing. It's just about seeing things differently. The problems we see in rural communities are different than in uh, urban places. So I really think it's, um, it's what's around you, what, what experience you're seeing and what the resources you have access to. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you a story that uh, reinforces what you just said. Uh, last year, uh, Rural Rise was in Pine Bluff, like you had mentioned. So I flew in from Denver to Little Rock, and then I took an Uber from Little Rock to uh, Pine Bluff. And then the next day after the conference ended, my flight was at 6 p.m. So about 3 p.m. I do what I do in every city. So in the last one year, I've traveled to over 50 cities in the U.S. Uh, I've traveled internationally for business. And uh, I went to my phone. I opened the Uber app and I hit, you know, go to the airport. Uh, and it said no cabs. I said, mm-hmm. that can't be right. So then I opened Lyft and it said there's one driver. And so I pinged the driver and no response back. Uh, and so I went to the convention uh, office and I said, oh, it looks like, you know, maybe the Uber app is down or the Lyft app is down. They said, oh, no, no, no. There's only one driver here in Pine Bluff. He does both Uber and Lyft. And uh, sometimes he's not available, but the app still shows he's available. And I said, okay, how am I going to get to the airport? And they said, oh, uh, there is a taxi cab service here. You know, call them. I called them. Nobody picked up. And so now I was panicking because I was going from Pine Bluff to, um, I was actually going to the SCN conference the next day. So I was actually uh, going to Wisconsin. And and so I'm sitting there and then the convention center director walks up to me and says, oh, 
don't worry about it. I will just have my team drive you to the airport. Now this airport is like an hour away. And I was like, whoa. And yeah, he said, no big deal. It happens all the time. People come by, come here and then they get stuck and, you know, we'll just drive you there. And so he drew, drove me there, you know, didn't ask me for money, nothing. It was just uh, an hour drive uh, uh, just as a courtesy to us. And, you know, that is the power of rural communities. When there isn't a resource, somebody jumps in just to reinforce what you just said, you know, somebody jumps in and, and helps you out and there's a, a better sense of community and make do with what you have versus, you know, if the same thing had happened and the actual app was actually down in a bigger city, I might have actually missed my flight because that, that close knit culture of let's band together and make things happen, uh, I think is also unique to uh, rural America. You know, do you see that in your community? Yes, yes, David. And we were also in Pine Bluff, our Arkansas last year and Rural Rice Summit this year. Online was great, but man, being in that room together with just the welcomeness and the humbleness, it, it was amazing. So really glad to hear your story. But we've also we also had a great time uh, while being in Pine Bluff and the leadership there. Uh, I remember like with the direct outreach that I think Mildred uh, from Pine Bluff had with her community, it was amazing to see. Uh, and I got to connect with some entrepreneurs there as well. Um, and talking about that in our community, yes, I absolutely agree that people rally behind to help um, entrepreneurs who are just starting off or uh, even growing businesses, that, that sense of pride is very much there. Um, but on, on the other hand, I'll also mention a little bit about um, you know, as again, due to COVID, more and more work is going remote. And this, this is a big opportunity for rural places. Uh, for when work is going remote, people are going to want to move out from maybe the, you know, the hustle bustle and get to a smaller community. And, and that is something I feel like there's opportunity to work on a little bit more is, is to welcome people from outside as their own, um, you know, the, these people may or may not live for the long term. They may be there for five years, but at the same time, that, that five years, they can be very active and great citizens of the community. Um, their entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial venture can help the community. So I think it's important to have that welcomeness as well and be able to embrace um, people coming in from outside. And I, and I think that that mentality is coming. Um, like more and more people are aware of the remote work situation right now. And, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to embrace people coming in from outside and just really making them a part of the community. Let me ask you uh, like the penultimate question. How can people find out more about your work and follow uh, the work that you're doing with the Ada Jobs community? Yes. Uh, so I, I'm available on LinkedIn, uh, social media, Srijita Diagosh, uh, not, not a lot of names there. So you can, uh, you can find me there. And for our work in Ada, you can follow the Ada Jobs Foundation Facebook page to stay updated on all the events and the work uh, we do here. What is one parting advice you would give to somebody that is at a starting point that you were at two years ago when you made this leap into supporting entrepreneurship ecosystems and economic development, what is one advice you'd give them looking back two years into this journey? 
I would say invest uh, in a, in having a diverse leadership and in, in because it's so important that, you know, when there's diversity and inclus- inclusion and leadership, that uh, ex- that is exponential, right? Because when when you're reaching out, recruiting for whether it's programs or events uh, or even initiatives, when when the participants see that the person in charge or the person planning it looks or talks like them, it's it's easier for them. It's more welcoming. So it's very important that uh, that we have people in place uh, who are either planning events or making things happen that somebody trusts in them, right? Uh, that we go out of the norm and uh, believe and trust people to uh, come in and bring their diverse perspectives and not be skeptical of it uh, because entrepreneurship at a fundamental level, innovation is about problem solving and about diverse thoughts. So if, if there's one thing I would say is that diverse uh, invest in diverse leadership and do that direct outreach uh talking personally to somebody one-on-one where they are at is so much more impactful uh than kind of like looking from far away right you can make a big impact in somebody else's life whether it's you're trying to recruit somebody to participate in a program or helping somebody with their business plan or helping somebody to go talk to a bank when you talk to them uh, where they're at it, it the impact just doubles so, Dia, tell me a little bit more about your programs. Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, after we did the community entrepreneurship report, we we realized there was a there was a need for having intentional programs towards creating a thriving startup ecosystem here in uh, Ada. And as a part of that, we started doing a pitch competition and it was, it was very impactful and not, not a whole lot of money, but even with the small amount, we saw the impact that it created in these entrepreneurs lives. Uh, But we quickly realized that there was a need for more education prior to a pitch competition. And that's when we started uh, what we call the Startup Ada Bootcamp, basically kind of like a mini accelerator program uh, for six weeks where entrepreneurs go through a few hours every Tuesday to learn about the topics of starting a business. And I just want to share, you know, a quick experience that I had of how quickly these events uh, can make an impact. Uh, And even though they're on a ground level and you're not starting them off as like this huge accelerator program, right? It's a small uh, program, but it's making an impact. Um, I worked with an entrepreneur, an African-American woman, and she did not have a background in business. She did not have a business before, but she was so persistent and she learned and she came to every class. And I still remember the first workshop that we had um, for a pitch workshop and she, she couldn't speak. And she was, she was like, I've never done this before. I cannot even talk in front of a crowd. And she actually went on to practicing several times, one-on-one, lots of coffee. And she went on to become a winner at the big pitch. And um, even that $500 or whatever that small amount was, and that recognition and the confidence boost in her was just remarkable to see. So this is something that I keep, uh, I think going, back to is that direct outreach and talking to people at their uh, wherever they are you know and speaking their language is just so important and has been very impactful uh, in my personal experience yep well thank you so much for being on our show today it was a pleasure talking to you we will continue to follow your journey and would love to have you back in the future on our show great thank you david
Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponraj. Special thanks to Dia Ghosh for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial-Fritcher, edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.